One of my um, favorite photos from last year, and I, I can't remember if it was uh, – published by you guys or in a different section of the paper, but it was uh, a guy standing with a fishing pole and he was knee deep in water right uh, by the Jefferson Memorial, the same spot where I take you know hundreds of people every single year. And I was just blown away that it had gotten that high. Yeah, no, that was uh, kind of an iconic photo and uh, maybe um, symbolic of the future we're headed towards. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 12 of the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Trip Hacks DC Tours. If you're listening to this in the summer, it means that you are running out of time to sign up for our seasonal monumental trivia tour, part monuments tour, part trivia game. You can learn more over at triphacksdc.com slash tours. Today, I am joined by Jason Samanow, and we are going to talk all about Washington, D.C. weather. Jason is the Washington Post's weather editor. In 2004, he founded CapitalWeather.com, which has grown over the years from a one-man blog to a major operation with a team of weather writers at the Washington Post. Jason is a Washington, D.C. native and has been a weather enthusiast since age 10. So, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I am extremely excited about this topic. Uh, the weather is something that, as a tour company owner, is extremely important to me. And it just so happens that we're recording this episode in the summer. I have a tour tonight, as I often do in the summer, and it looks like there might be severe weather coming in the area just at the time that my tour is going to be started. Yeah, bad luck. Yeah, we do have some storms in the forecast this evening. Uh, The coverage, how uh, widespread they are, whether they're more isolated or uh, scattered to widespread, we're still figuring that out. But uh, yeah, there should be some storms around. Already seeing them starting to pop a little bit. And that's the perfect introduction to how tricky it is to forecast the weather, because we're recording this episode. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. My tour is scheduled to start at 6.30, and you don't sound 100% confident about whether I'm going to get wet this evening or not. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, summer thunderstorms is kind of like a pot of boiling water. You don't know exactly where the bubble is going to pop up. So uh, it's really hard to pin it down. We know that the window between about, uh, you know, 4 and 8, p.m. tonight is when we'll probably have the most storms, uh, but exactly where they'll be and when and how many of them there will be, that's kind of the, 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 uh, the hard part right now. I've been a tour guide for many years, and I always carry an umbrella in my backpack for this exact scenario, so I totally know how it goes. For someone who's planning a trip to Washington, D.C., you know, they're coming on a vacation. This might be their one and only vacation of the year, and the weather's important to them. They want to make sure that they're here, and, you know, they're planning their trip well. They're planning their indoor activities if it might be rainy on a rainy day and their outdoor activities on a nice day. How can they, you know, what kind of resources can they use to help plan in advance of their trip? Right. Well, I think you should think about uh, what type of weather you like, because Washington does have four seasons. So our weather is variable, which is which is good if you enjoy a mix, if you enjoy variety. So um, if you enjoy the heat, you know, July, August, those are the best times of year. Um, you prefer chilly in January, February. Those are two coldest months of the year. And then you've got the transition seasons where you get a little bit of everything. So uh, you want to think about the time of year carefully. Um, and then beyond that, uh, once you're trying to uh, isolate a specific time, if you want to know what's coming up, um, then you can uh, start to use 
your trusted weather sources. And, you know, everyone's trusted sources are different. Uh, obviously, I'd start with the Capital Weather Gang at WashingtonPost.com. We do forecasts uh, about seven days into the future. Uh, we don't go beyond that typically. So um, you can get snapshot information for the next week. And then um, we'll, we'll drill down in more detail as things get closer. Um, obviously, there are other great sources, the National Weather Service. They provide, a, I think, a pretty good seven-day forecast. Go to weather.gov, type in Washington, D.C. into their search bar, and uh, they'll give you a pretty good seven-day D.C. forecast. That's good to know. The the Capital Weather Gang is my trusted source of weather. Makes my Washington Post subscription worth it, uh, perhaps more than any of the other pages in the in the paper. One thing I like about the Capital Weather Gang and your guys' analysis is that you don't just do the seven day out forecast, but you actually say, "Yeah, we're pretty confident in this," or "We're not at all confident in this," or somewhere in between. Because one thing that kind of um, I don't really know how to respond when someone sends me an email. They book me on a tour, and it'll be ten days into the you know away, and they'll say, "Rob." Uh, I just got the 10-day forecast. It's going to rain on the day of our tour. What should we do? And I usually just respond and say, let's, let's wait it out a little bit. Let's let's give it a few more days and see. But, you know, you guys give those confidence scales. So how do you come up with those and how should people be interpreting them when they read them? Right. So we're, we're looking at a lot of different models when we make a forecast. And so when all the models agree, we can um, indicate higher confidence when there's disagreement among the models and our confidence is less. And, and then there's certain weather patterns or certain times of year when the weather is more or less predictable. And so that also feeds into our confidence inter- intervals as well. So we're looking at a lot, of di- a lot of different things when we're putting those out. But it's a subjective um, indicator of how we feel about the forecast. And um, usually like for forecast one, two, three days into the future, our confidence will be high to moderately high. Um, and then as you get further down the road, days four, five, and six, our confidence is on balance going to be more in the moderate range, maybe even into the low to moderate range if it's a tricky weather uh, setup. So um, yeah, so we use those as a guide to help people. We, we're, we're all about transparency. We want people to know what we know and what we don't know. And that, that's what I like a lot. And another thing that you do that I like a lot is called the daily digit. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, ranking on a scale of, is it one to 10 or zero to 10? We, we'll go with a zero sometimes. Yeah. On a particularly foul day, uh, usually only one or two of those a year when it's just really bad across the board. And uh, on a day when we have clear blue skies, comfortable temperatures, light winds, low humidity, we might get a 10. On a day when it's uh, raining and 33 degrees and uh, just miserable outside, you're just going to get soaked and you, there's <laughs> there are no redeeming qualities, you might get a zero or a one. So, or if it's very dangerous weather, disruptive weather, you might get a zero or one under those circumstances as well. But you know, every we have we have a bunch of different forecasters who. Um, who contribute to the Capital Weather Gang, and everyone takes a different day of the week. And so uh, we try to, you know, harmonize how we rate the days somewhat, but, you know, everyone has their own preferences. So um, someone else's, uh, someone's seven might be someone else's five. But there's certain guidelines, like we have what we consider sort of nice day criteria. Um, and if it's a, if we meet those nice day criteria, we're going to go eight or higher. I spend a lot of time outdoors giving tours, and I would say that these are very accurate uh, <laughs> ratings. Maybe off by one or two. You know, you got to have some margin of error. Uh, it's almost like without fail, when there's a 10 out of 10 day, the people on my tour say, 
is the weather always this nice? <laughs> right. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news and say, no, unfortunately, it's not. You know, I tweeted you guys last year and asked if you'd ever done an analysis on the Daily Digit, and you had. And I think, if I recall, the average is like a five or a six or somewhere in yeah, there. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, that's so. about right. Yeah. I mean, our weather in D.C. actually is, um, you know, most of the time not too uh, not too bad. I mean, I think it's um, – we're a city, again, we have a lot of variety, but we don't, we don't get some of the extremes that you see in other parts of the country. We don't get – ridiculous intense cold um it's not as hot as the desert southwest or as humid as south florida so or along the gulf coast um we we get variety but nothing too severe um so so i want to run through the seasons with you because one sure. of the first things you said when we started talking is that washington dc has four seasons which is one of the things that i love and sometimes is one of the things that makes me wish i just would move to San Diego and become a tour guide there because I just kind of want a beautiful day every day. But let's start with summer because that's the day, uh, that's the season that we're in right now. And the first question might seem very simple, but I think it's an important one. And it is, what is humidity and why does it make it feel so miserable? Yeah, humidity is just a measure of the amount of moisture in the air. So um, the more moisture in the air, the kind of the thicker, more uncomfortable it feels. And so, um, our, our humidity is uh, due to the fact that uh, the prevailing wind direction here in the summertime is usually from the south and southeast. And so we get air from both the Atlantic and sometimes from the Gulf of Mexico as well. And, uh, you know, plenty of water content from those uh Air from those uh, bodies of water, and we've got the Chesapeake Bay too. So, um, yeah, I think it's just it's the prevailing winds that transports a lot of moisture into our area, and so uh, pretty much anywhere in the Mid Atlantic and the Southeast is going to be pretty muggy during the summer. And so, when I have visitors and they're coming from California or Colorado or somewhere out west, the humidity just hits them like a ton of bricks, and they're not used to it, so they don't have those prevailing winds out in that part of the country. Right, because their 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 winds are usually um, the, the the moisture is kind of uh, dissipated because it it, ha- it you know even though the prevailing winds are off the Pacific by the time you um, you reach say eastern Colorado or the plains um, a lot of that uh, moisture has been taken out of the air. Of course, in the plains they get winds from the Gulf of Mexico, so it can get very humid there. But I, I think like places in um, in in the Southwest um, again they're they're um, a lot of that moisture is just stripped out by the time um, it, it gets there. So it's just there's just a lot less of it, and it feels a lot more comfortable. They have a dry heat, so sometimes you know 100 degrees there um, feels like the same thing like 85 does here. Yeah, that's exactly right. I know my family went on vacation to Las Vegas a few years ago, and you know coming from D.C., 100 degrees felt downright refreshing. Meanwhile, my sister and brother-in-law from San Francisco, they were dying in the heat. So it's really all about where you're coming from and what you're used to, it seems like. Exactly, yeah. And, 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 the, and the water temperatures off the um, West Coast are much cooler than they are off the Atlantic and off the Gulf of Mexico. And so um, it's not, the, the, the humidity is not only a function of the moisture, but also how, um, how, how warm the source of the uh, moisture is. So on a day like today, I, I don't know the exact temperature, but it felt like it was probably high 80s. Maybe it even hit 90 as I was walking over here from the metro. And, you know, the uh, atmosphere is very unsettled. It might storm tonight. So why is it that on these days when it's just extremely hot and very humid, that those are always the days when it just could storm out of nowhere? Whereas maybe, you know, a cooler day when it's 75 and not humid, you don't really get that kind of experience. 
Yeah, so the humidity, they, it basically feeds uh, thunderstorms, which can develop. They're called in the summer air mass thunderstorms, and um, the air becomes unstable, it rises, and it condenses high up in the atmosphere where the temperatures are colder, and you get these you get these pop-up storms. Again, it's like heating up a pot of water, and you get these bubbles which form in the atmosphere, and then they unload their moisture. Very interesting. And what about tornadoes? I know earlier this summer there was a tornado warning, and... Uh, a lot of rain, a lot of wind blew through the city. Did a tornado actually touch down in the city or anywhere in the area? And does this kind of thing ever affect D.C.? Yeah, with that particular event you're referring to, I don't think there was a tornado that touched down. There was a tornado warning for the district. But, um, yeah, we can get tornadoes here. They're usually pretty short-lived, uh, usually pretty weak. Um, not always. Uh, there are exceptions, especially if you're factoring in sort of the larger D.C. area, including Northern Virginia, um, Maryland. Um, There there have been several tornadoes which have touched down in the greater region this year, Um, but they've all been pretty weak. Once in a great while, we'll see a stronger tornado of the type where you really need to be underground or in a strong building uh, to be safe. And if you do hear a tornado warning um, issued, that means you should seek shelter. You shouldn't be out in that because... um, Winds could be destructive, and it's the um, it's the debris, it's the stuff that the tornado um, lost into the air it can be really dangerous. So you want to be obviously you want to put as many walls between you and the outside as possible in those situations. So sure, great tips. I know when I am giving a tour and uh, a warning comes through, I I know the spots I can go on the National Mall under the memorials where we can be safe. Uh, but it's you know good thing to keep in mind if you're not going to go on a tour, you're just going to be checking out the monuments in the evening, as many do. That when you get the warning on your phone, it's time to seek shelter. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think if you're traveling, you should um, have a way to receive weather alerts, uh, whether you're in Washington or anywhere else, because um, sometimes when you're not in the city uh, where you usually are, you have your phone programmed to only get the alerts for your city. So when you're traveling, you should uh, there are apps which will allow you to turn on other cities and you should activate those warnings so you're not out of position. So you're in... Um, so you're able to seek shelter and have that lead time you need to be safe. That's a great tip. I think the app that I use does adjust based on where I am, so I don't worry about that. But I, uh, now that you mention it, that's a great tip for folks who don't use an app like that or don't have the geolocation turned on. Right, yeah. And the geolocation, uh, those automated alerts will only come for certain types of warning, for tornado warnings, I think flash flood warnings. Uh, severe thunderstorm warning I don't think will automatically sound off your phone and severe thunderstorm warnings um, or severe thunderstorms can be just as dangerous as um, tornadoes um, especially in this area because the tornadoes usually aren't that strong and severe thunderstorms can really put down some uh, destructive wind gusts and so you want to be aware of this. Let's move on to the next season, the sure. fall. My personal favorite season in DC. The reason I like fall is because you get some of the warmth that's still left over, but a little bit less of the humidity. So generally around what time of year does the humidity start to decrease at a you know consistent basis so you can expect to go out and not feel like you're swimming or chewing through the air? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you know, I've noticed anecdotally, and I'm, I'm sure I have data to back it up as well, but um, second half of August, we tend to see some improvement. Now, it's not consistent, right? Um August can kind of, especially when you get, you're approaching Labor Day, things can uh, start to uh, uh, swing more in your direction, but you, you still can get muggy days. In fact, we've had some muggy Septembers. I think last September was pretty bad, but generally speaking, what happens is that um, the cold fronts, which sort of get stuck to our north and uh, from between late June and kind of early August, they start to get a little bit more oomph. 
and more momentum and they start to push through our area. And once you get those cold fronts moving through, that brings in the drier air from the northwest rather than from the south and southeast. And so, um, yeah, so I, w- I would say uh, late late August, early September, that's when things start to improve. But, you know, every year is a little bit different. So sometimes that humidity hangs on into uh, September. You even get a humid day in early October sometimes. That's kind of the limit. Once you get into mid-October, you're not going to typically see one of these oppressively humid days. It can be muggy, a little muggy, but it's not going to be bad. Those anecdotes match my own almost exactly. So I'm glad we're uh, in sync with that. What about hurricanes? Uh, Washington, D.C. is not a beach town, but we're not that far from the Atlantic Ocean and, you know, uh, we're approaching Atlantic hurricane season. So uh, do we get affected by hurricanes? And is it something that visitors should worry about when they're planning a trip here? You know, we, we do get affected by hurricanes. Usually we won't. We, well, we won't, we'll never get a direct hit because we're, we're inland somewhat, but we get um, the remnants of hurricanes and um Sometimes uh, the the hurricanes which hit the Gulf Coast, they get drawn northward um, along the jet stream and affect our area with heavy rain, sometimes some strong wind. And once in a great while, what will happen is, um, and these are kind of our worst case hurricane scenarios, is we'll have a hurricane hit the Outer Banks or maybe Southeast Virginia, the Delmarva and that or a tropical storm or hurricane, one of those two, um, will hit sort of the mid-Atlantic coast and come inland. And that's when we can have uh, damaging winds, um, very heavy rain, flooding. Uh, sometimes you can get sort of a surge of water up the Potomac and you can get flooding along the um, uh, uh, along the shore in Georgetown, Southwest Waterfront, Annapolis, uh, places like that. Um, Hurricane Isabel in 2003 was a case of that. So, um, yeah, we do have to deal with hurricane hazards here. Um, more indirect, but um, but they happen. Her, uh, the remnants of Agnes uh, were uh, caused major issues here in 1972, and I mentioned Isabel. We we had effects from Sandy uh, back in 2012, so we we do deal with it. But again, conditions tend to be worse as you get closer to the coast. So once hurricane season passes, we move into winter, and. People still ask me, even in 2019, about the snowpocalypse of 2010. And I think for a lot of people, when they think of Washington, D.C. winter, that's what they think. And they think that every year we're getting, you know, feet and feet of snow. Uh, that's not accurate, is it? No, I mean, we're pretty uh, moderate snow town. I might even say moderate may even be overstating it. I mean, we um, we get snow almost every winter. There have only been two winters on record dating back to the late 1800s where we haven't gotten any snow or we are just trace amounts, flurries, basically. Um, so, uh, yeah, most years we'll see snow. Um, once in a great while, we do get the big ones and we get hammered. And you know, it's every five to ten years or so on, on average we'll have a really blockbuster snow year where we'll have multiple big storms. Um, we saw that in 2010, as you alluded to, Snowpocalypse or Snowmageddon, whichever nickname you prefer. And then uh, we had, uh, you know, 2003 was a big year. 96 was a big year. 1987 was a big year. And those are the years when we see in excess of about 40 inches of snow. Um, you know, if you're from uh, the uh, snowbelt area, of the um, downwind of the Great Lakes. That's nothing. You get that in a few weeks. But in Washington, that's a lot of snow, and it's a lot for the city to handle. And um, and, and we have those winters. So um, on average, though, about uh, 15 to 16 inches of snow a year. And that's one of the tricky things uh, about the fact that we have visitors from all over the world is you get someone from Buffalo, New York, and they say, 
this is nothing, you know, we got this last weekend. Uh, and then you get somebody from Southern Florida who is, you know, terrified uh, that they're going to be stuck here, their flight's going to be canceled, um, and they're not gonna be able to make it back home. So it's all about perspective, I suppose. But I think, you know, you said 16 inches on average per year, which is not nothing by any means, but it's not, uh, you know, a northeast or snow belt uh, numbers by any means either. What about a polar vortex? I feel like I've been reading about that a lot the past few winters. Um, what what is that, and do we get them often? It, it's ter- it's it's new terminology which uh, has recently entered the lexicon. Which uh, meteorologists have known about the polar vortex for decades, but it's kind of just hit the mainstream. And it's you know basically you have um, an area of cold air um, which swirls around the uh, North Pole, and once in a while a piece of it breaks off and comes south. It's it's basically just an outbreak of cold air, a particularly intense one. And in most winters, um, you know the polar vortex will be disturbed and a piece of it will break off or and this can happen in some winters multiple times in our colder winters in our milder winters it gets it's locked up that cold air is locked up over the arctic and the uh, cold we get is rather mild um this past winter we had yeah i mean we i think we had a outbreak or two of the, of the polar vortex if you want to call it that um so it, like snow years some years we get hit harder than other others uh, we've had some memorably cold winters um actually our winters have trended milder in recent decades with climate warming and you know we'll see if that continues that's that's what scientists project so uh in general our our winters um we we can still see some pretty punishing cold here we're just far enough north that um we'll we'll have some days where, where it's as cold as highs in the teens lows in the single digits even below zero um in our exceptionally cold years uh with the wind chill you know wind's a factor here we, we it can be windy so we'll see wind chills below zero most winters yeah so that's something to keep in mind is you can get some legitimate outbreaks of cold air if you're coming here especially january february those are our two months occasionally once in a while december we'll get some bitter cold but um those are the core months i give tours year-round and in my experience it's usually pretty mild uh i usually don't have people asking or requesting to cancel tours or anything because of cold. Uh, but it, you're right. When it's windy, that's when you really start to feel it. So a hat, gloves, you know, um, make sure you're covered in all the right places because it's the wind that's really going to get you. Yeah, you want to be comfortable if you're out touring. You don't want. I think if you if you layer up, that's the best protection. You know, multiple layers, and you can always shed a layer or two if you get too warm. And it's, you'd rather be uh, air on the side of being too warm than being too cold. So let's move into spring, which is very popular here in D.C. because of the National Cherry Blossom Festival. Uh, the festival starts every year on the first day of spring, March 20th. And so everybody asks me all the time and everybody else who's affiliated with the festival, when are they going to be in bloom? Because there's a very short window and if you don't catch them at just the right time, you're not going to see them. And I know that when they bloom has a lot to do with the weather, uh, especially in the weeks and months leading up. The best predictor of when the cherry blossoms will bloom is how cold or mild March is. So if we have a cold March, they're going to bloom later. If we have a mild March, they'll bloom earlier. Um, and uh, sometimes late February, too, the weather then plays a role as well. Because we have a big thaw in late February that can get things moving faster. Um, but, um, yeah, so um, the peak bloom for cherry blossoms can range anywhere from basically um, early to mid-March if in an exceptionally mild year to mid to late um, April in a colder year when things are delayed. I think that sounds right. And I think that uh, 
the I believe it's the meteorologists who work uh, for the National Park Service or who contract with the National Park Service. They do make a prediction about when they're going to be in bloom and they revise it. So it's important to appreciate that even a few weeks in advance, it's not necessarily going to be exactly as it's initially. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to plan for that. And we actually do our own cherry blossom forecasts at Capital Weather Gang. So you can check those out. We we usually put out our forecast around March 1st and we'll revise ours as well. Although we've actually a pretty good track record of being pretty close. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, keep that in mind. And another thing which really kind of moves the cherry blossoms along is if you have sunny, warm days, um, cloudiness, uh, cold nights, that really slows them down. But, um, yeah, it's hard, though. Like, if you're trying to plan a trip to Washington, um, your best bet is just to – if you're trying to plan around the cherry blossoms, your best bet is just to pick average, so around April 1st if you want to uh, hit it. But, you know, every year is different, so there's a risk you'll miss it if things are unusually early or late. But um, if I were having to plan a trip months in advance, there's no way you're going to be able to nail it down, so just pick the average. Yeah, and that's similar to the advice that Nora from the Cherry Blossom Festival had on the podcast earlier this year. She said, you know, just plan around the festival. Pick some events that sound good to you and, you know, go see those. And, you know, maybe you'll get to see them in their full bloom. And if, if you don't, that's okay, too. You'll still have fun at the festival. Exactly. Okay, so Jason, now we've run through all of the seasons. And I want to ask, in your personal, professional, meteoro- meteorological opinion, what is the best month in Washington, D.C., weather-wise? Okay, can I pick two? Sure. Okay, sure. So I would go with um, May and September. Um, May is a great month because our average temperature is in the 70s. Um, humidity hasn't built up. Occasionally, you get a hot day in May. And same thing with September. Um, September is very similar climatologically to May. Rather than temperatures being on their way up, they're on their way down. Humidity is generally trending down as well. Um the caveat I'd put in there or the qualifier is that sometimes you get into certain weather patterns in September and uh, it can, that humidity can still hang on. You can also have to deal with those tropical systems that we talked about before, which can be rainmakers. Um, May, the, the, the qualifier for May I would give is sometimes you get into wet weather patterns in May where you get, you know, just a, a lot of rainy days, but um, even nice May or my, nice September in Washington, it's really, really nice here. Seven, lots of 70s, low humidity. Some, if you enjoy the warmth, you'll get some 80 degree days too. So um, I think those are the, in terms of like comfort, let's just get some cooler nights, not cold, but cooler nights in the 50s and 60s, which are very comfortable. So um, yeah, those would be my months. I think you nailed it. I uh, really like May. I am partial to September for the simple reason that as a tour guide, May has a lot more field trippers in town. And September, you get a lot more space to yourself when you go out and explore the sites uh, and walk around the National Mall. I have a curiosity that I want to ask you about, and um, it's something I overheard when I was out on the National Mall the other week. Uh, someone said, you know, I heard that Washington, D.C. got so much rain last year that they had more rain than Seattle. And I thought, well, isn't that every year? Don't we always get more? And so why why is it that Seattle has this reputation for being really rainy and we don't? Yeah, no, we definitely get more rain than Seattle on average in most years. Now, you know, Seattle can have an exceptionally rainy year and outdo us. But um, yeah, most years will be rainier. And uh, it has to do with the fact that Seattle's rainfall comes in, you know, drips and drabs. And they, they, they get it um, frequently, um, but it doesn't amount to a lot. It's like light rain and drizzle. Whereas we get more downpours here, and that's what adds up, and that's really at the heart of it is the fact that our rain tends to be more intense. So we have more sunny days here, um, and they have more cloudy days. Although their weather is really nice during the summer, and they during their dry season they get a lot of sunshine. But 
um, basically late fall to early spring. They're cloudy on a lot of days and they have rain on a lot of days. Again, not an amounting to much, but um, it's, you know, six months or so of the year, it's a little bit bleak there. Whereas we have a lot more variability here and on balance, I, I believe we have more sunny days. I would think that's the case. Um, but in any event, um, more rainfall because of the heavier downpours here. That makes perfect sense. And it also leads into um, a stat, which I'm sure you're aware of, which is that 2018 was the rainiest year or wettest year on record in Washington, D.C. So what happened? How did we manage to – I think we didn't just break it. We shattered it. Uh, yeah. We, no, we, we broke yeah. it at the, or at the beginning of December, if I recall. Yeah. No, we – yeah, we blasted right by it. And I think you know we were over um, 60 inches of rain, whereas we averaged about 40 inches. So over 50 percent above our normal. So, yeah, it was an exceptional year. And we had um, – you know, just um, basically starting in June and then continuing uh, through the summer and then into the fall, just lots and lots of heavy rain events. And, you know, sometimes you get into a jet stream pattern or overall weather pattern and um, it gets stuck for a little uh, a period of time. And that's just what we saw. Sometimes it just and it's even continued into the first third of uh, 2019. It was it was uh, we've been. And things have slowed down a little bit, but um, even the first, um, as I said, the first third of 2019 has been wet. And so you get into these patterns and, you know, the jet streams in a certain position, the storms are tracking a certain way and you just get dumped on time and time again. And that, that, that's what, that's what happened. And, um, you know, we even had more rain up in Baltimore, some places over 70 inches, even over 80 inches in a few spots in Northern Maryland. So, um, yeah, an anomalous year, not something we expect to happen except uh once every uh century or so but um you know maybe we'll make up for it with an unusually dry year i was gonna ask about that you know you said once a century it it certainly seems like we're constantly being told about these extreme weather events or these once in a century events happening maybe once a decade uh do, is this just seem like that or is there actual data to support this well, idea there, that we're getting more extreme weather? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're there, there's some data which show in, which is showing that our downpours are becoming heavier. And if you have heavier downpours, that's going to increase the likelihood you'll have a wet year. Um, so we, we don't expect to have a year um, every year like we had last year. That's not no climate projection talks about that. But, um, you know, if we're warming up the atmosphere, then we should expect to have um on balance, uh, an overall increase in precipitation, more downpours. Um, and, uh, you know, so things should trend up over time. It's not to say that every year is going to be exceptionally wet because there's still a lot of variability. So when I uh, do my tour of the monuments, we usually start at the Jefferson Memorial and then we walk around the Tidal Basin. And people are often very concerned when the Tidal Basin is flooding. And in 2019, it's flooded many times. And I usually say, well, you know, if the Tidal Basin is flooding and the rest of the city isn't, then it's kind of doing its job. But is this something that is uh, something that we should really be concerned about? Yeah, I mean, it's something we're going to have to deal with. And there are people in the city who are already thinking about ways of holding back the water and dealing with uh, flood protection and uh, building up levees and flood walls and things like that. So especially when we have big storms and hurricanes, that's when the uh, flooding could be even a more serious issue. But um, yeah, I mean, high tide flooding, it is projected to increase. That's just a reality of a warming world. Um, and um, it's something uh, planners have to think about. Yeah, I know the military has been ringing the alarm bells. They have several bases right here in the city that they're very concerned about the flood risk. One of my um, favorite photos from last year, and I can't remember if it was uh, published by you guys or in a different section of the paper, but it was uh, a guy standing with a fishing pole and he was knee deep in water right 
uh, by the Jefferson Memorial, the same spot where I take you know hundreds of people every single year, and I was just blown away that it had gotten that high. So definitely something that I hadn't seen in a, in a while. Yeah, no, that was uh, kind of an iconic photo, and uh, maybe um, symbolic of the future we're headed towards. Um, again, there are um, presumably engineering solutions to hold back the water, but it, it, they will have costs, and you know we have to think about how to best plan for those. But yeah, it's a reality, and uh, all coastal tidal cities um, are having to think about that. Whether it's Miami Beach or Norfolk or uh, Boston, um, lots of cities are going through this as well. People, um, when they plan their trips, you know, weather can impact travel. And when I read the Capital Weather Gang, it seems like whenever there's a big weather event, whether it's a tropical storm or uh, a big snowstorm, half of the comments on the post are something like, oh, I've got a flight at Sunday at 7. Am I going to make it? Um, And so, you know, when people are thinking about planning flights and driving around uh, severe weather, what's, what's the best way to just try to handle a situation like that? We do get these questions all the time, and people panic about flights. I'm not sure why. I mean, um, but um, I, I guess I do. I mean, because there's, you know, you're excited about your vacation, and you've put a lot of planning into it. There, there are monetary resources involved. Um, but um, I don't recommend making any changes to your flight um, until at least um, a one or two days before the actual weather event because the forecast can change, especially when we're talking about snowstorms. Washington's often right on the rain snow line. And so um, forecasts for how much snow is going to fall and how big a deal it's going to be change. Um, same thing goes for like tropical storms. The, the, the tracks can shift and just small shifts in the track can make a big difference in how much rain we're going to get, how much wind we're going to see. So um, usually what will happen is if the forecast is high confidence that we're going to have disruptive weather, the airlines will allow you to change your flight at no cost. You will have that option if it's really that serious. If they're not giving you that option, it's probably because either it's not that serious or the weather forecast is uncertain enough that they don't feel comfortable uh, granting those waivers. So um, I would I would just take my cues from the airlines. Um I think, um, you know, obviously if you pay attention to the forecast and you want to track that, so you will be aware of, there's a, you, so you'll be aware of the possibility that your flight might be changed or you might have the option to change your flight. I would warn against making changes and spending money to change your itinerary until the forecast is set in stone and until you know what your carrier is going to do. Um, that would be my advice. And again, you always want to also, whenever there's inclement weather, just check the status of your flight before heading to the airport and and find out if you have a delay or not so you're not wasting time or obviously call your carrier to, if there's a chance of a cancellation so you're not headed to the airport um, only to find out you're not going anywhere. Excellent advice. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, I know that especially with winter weather, one thing I like about your forecast is that you do a boom scenario, a bust scenario, and I forget what the middle one is called. But I'm always maybe people are going to be disappointed to hear this. I'm always rooting for the bust scenario because <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a snow person. But it goes to show that it's really hard to know exactly what it's going to be, and it could be any of these three. Right. Yeah. So it's boom bust and most likely. Right. So, um, yeah. So the boom is what's the likelihood your forecast will, um, the, the actual amount of snow will exceed your forecast. Um, and then the bust is, okay, what's the likelihood that the snowfall will be less than what you're forecasting than most likely is, you know, what you think is most likely to happen. And so, um, we present those scenarios 
understanding that in any forecast of snow, there's a range of possibilities. So we want people to know what our best bet is, but also what are the alternative possibilities so they can plan. You know, some people try to want to give you just one number and swing for for the fences. But in my view, because snow forecasts are so uncertain, they are not therefore giving you all of the information because, you know, their forecast could very likely be wrong. And so that's why we, we, we present scenarios. And especially in Washington, where um, our snow forecasts are so sensitive to a lot of different factors, um, a lot of times the temperatures here are barely cold enough for it to snow. So if it's just a degree or two warmer, um, we're going to end up with rain um, rather than, you know, the snow we're predicting. So um, we, we want to give people those, um, those possibilities so they'll be best prepared and know Well, Jason, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of your extremely knowledgeable weather, uh, well, knowledge. uh, And before I uh, disconnect, I want to ask you one more question. It's a little fun trivia question. And it is, what what is the most memorable weather event in D.C. that we've had since you've started your career as a professional, a weather professional? I think it would have to be, um, well, there'd be two which stand out. And I'll, I'll Go with number one, and I'll briefly give you number two. Um, number one would definitely be that 2010 uh, winter um, when we had 56.1 inches of snow, Washington's snowiest winter on record. Um, but what stands out about that winter were, were the back-to-back um, blizzards we had in uh, February of that year, February of 2010, when we had, I think, about 18 to 27 inches of snow on the 4th and 5th of February, and then just... I think about five or six days later on top of that we got another 10 to 20 so it's just an incredible amount of snow they had to bring in bobcats and um to, to clear the snow uh, there was just so much of it and uh, the city was just shut down and it was just the, the landscape was transformed it was like we were living in a totally foreign place it was pretty amazing the, the amount of snow we saw in such a short amount of time so that would be one and then the second would be um we had a, an extremely intense complex of thunderstorms come through in uh june late june of 2012 uh, something called a derecho with um extremely um strong destructive winds upwards of 70 miles per hour uh we had over a million power outages from that event trees down all over it was just an extremely intense memorable event um just because it was so sudden and uh, so um, violent. It had such a big impact. It is, this was on the day when Washington had hit 104 degrees. Earlier that day, it's hottest June day on record, and then we just had this really violent line of storms come through, which um, if you if you lived it, 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 it was hard to forget. I lived it. Uh, June 29th, 2012, I remember it very well. Jason, I already talked about how uh, you, know, you are the editor for the Washington Post Capital Weather Gang. You are also on WAMU local public radio. Where else can folks find you if they want to you know, follow along with you and keep up with the weather when they're visiting? Yep, on Twitter at Capital Weather and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Capital Weather. Um, very active on social media. You can see all of our updates there. And uh, if anything meaningful or significant is happening in Washington weather, um, those are places where you can keep your hands on the pulse of it. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.